Welcome to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and in this podcast, we're continuing with our summer series in which we present segments of audio from off-season interviews that Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman conducted with Arizona State's football staff. We started with Herm Edwards, then profiled second-year wide receivers coach Charlie Fisher, before featuring cornerbacks coach and defensive passing game coordinator Tony White. If you miss any of those, you can get them on your feed however you access your podcast or on sundevilsource.com. Today, we'll be sharing the interview Chris conducted with ASU offensive line coach Dave Christensen. Last season, during Christensen's first in charge of ASU's offensive line, the Sun Devils' front unit contributed to star running back Eno Benjamin, setting multiple single-season records and also yielding the second-fewest sacks in the Pac-12. While all Pac-12 honorable mentions Casey Tucker and Quinn Bailey have departed to the NFL, ASU returned six experienced seniors, including Cole Cabral, who was second-team All-Pac-12 last year in his first season at center. Let's jump right into this with Chris asking Christensen about his view of the performance of his group. The voice you'll hear next is Chris Cartman, followed by Christensen. Relative to the expectations that you had going into the season, how, how did they actually perform? Well, you know, <coughs> you know what I do every time I, uh, and that hasn't happened a bunch, but anytime I take a new job and I go in, the first thing I do is set an expectation of what I'm looking for. You know, this is what the expectation is going to be for our unit group. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and we're going to do everything we can to get them to play up to our, my expectation level. And I would say last year they certainly did, if not maybe exceeded it some. And so we try to set a high standard, and then we do everything we can in our power to, to live up to that standard. And, you know, the first thing is, you know, you got to buy in and be completely committed and be selfless. Right. And these guys were. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, you know, I, I had some guys with some ability and, uh, um, you know, just completely bought in, worked hard, uh, took the... The, the film room to the practice field to the drills and then you saw them uh, carry over into games mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, I, I was you know pleased with the way that we performed and now our uh, you know our goal and our expectation is to play better than we did a year ago we'll always try to, to, to do that offensive lines it's like people they see it when there's mistakes or things that go wrong as a, right. and when it when it works the way it's supposed to they just take it for granted you know. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, but there was like, I didn't remember any game where I saw protection issues, like where, what they were doing, when an opponent was doing, you guys didn't have an answer for, and that's rare, especially like the first year that you're, right. you know, really coaching a position that, so I thought you did a tremendous job. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, I was blessed. I had, you know, some good players, obviously, and uh, they bought into what, you know, I was selling them, and You know, when you get guys that are committed and buy into what you're trying to teach them and, and, and ask them to do, um, then you got a chance. Yeah. And so you certainly got to have talent. You know, without some talent, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to get it done. But, you know, then once you, you know, you got the talent, you add the uh, commitment level that these guys had and the, the buy-in factor that they had um, and, and, and the attitude change and how we mm-hmm. wanted to approach things as an offensive line, um, you know, that. I was pleased to see the whole thing come together. I was proud of the way these kids played and performed this year. While Casey Tucker and Quinn Bailey have moved on from ASU, the program returns an experienced veteran group led by senior Cole Cabral. Here's Chris asking Christensen how he feels with his unit after a stellar first season with the position group. 
Uh, obviously, you're going to have six seniors this year, at least six seniors. Uh, how do you feel about just the way that, that the top part of that group looks as you kind of transition? Um, you know, we, we uh, you know, we'll have some experience coming back now. You know, we got to get them playing to the level that, you know, that, you know, Casey Tucker played at when he was healthy. Mm -hmm. We got to find somebody that played at the level of Quinn Bailey from a consistency standpoint, week in and week out. Mm -hmm. Um, those two guys would be very difficult to replace. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but, you know, we've got guys, um, but, you know, they've got to, They've got to raise their expectation, or they got to, you know, continue to get up to my expectation for right. them to, to be in position to play as well as those two guys played for us. Casey Tucker was obviously banged up a lot during the season, but such a glue guy, and his versatility and leadership, I'm sure, were were, were terrific. What, what did you think about how he did, especially given that that, that physical challenge that he had through the year? Well, I'll tell you, when Casey was healthy, we had just made comment about it today, a couple of us in the staff room watching some cut-ups from <clears> last year. When, when he was healthy, he was a completely different player. Yeah. And uh, it was just unfortunate that he sustained some uh, nagging injuries that, you know, kind of lingered on. Yeah. Uh, you know, he'd get healthy, then he'd go backwards a little bit. But when he was playing healthy, he played very well for us and, and was a physical presence for us. Mm -hmm. And what about the season that Quinn had? Because it, it seemed like he might have... For as good as he was, he still might have been one of the more underrated or underappreciated guys in the league. Yeah, Quinn was probably our most consistent player from start to finish throughout the season. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he was very consistent week to week, uh, very seldom ever put himself in a, a bad position. Mm -hmm. um, he was a smart player, was a physical player. Um, thought he really developed <clears throat> in his, his senior season um, and, and played really well for us the entire year. In Cabral's first season at center, he was one of the team's most consistent blockers and pass protectors. After considering leaving school early to enter the NFL draft, Cabral decided to return to the program. How big of a deal was it getting Cole to coming back? Because I know he did consider leaving. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good uh, to get his experience back. I think it's going to benefit both him and uh, us. Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, you know he's got a chance to play at the size of which he's going to need to play at in the NFL. And he's put that weight on and went through spring ball. So he's now kind of you know, had a spring to feel what the 300, 305 pound body feels like to play in. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it's going to help him from the standpoint of, you know, he had a nice season last year, but he should have a dominant season this year. Mm -hmm. And if he does, um, his draft stock is going to go way up. Yeah. When you play, yeah, last year was his first year playing center at this level. So. Mm -hmm like the that extra experience or knowledge base what does that really provide at that position well i think it's you know he did a tremendous job moving to center and and, and picking up all the assignments and those type of things but mm -hmm. you know just the experience wise he calls out all the protections and he did a phenomenal job with that a year ago but he's going to even know more this year yeah um, we might be able to get into a few more check situations and, and, and change up some of our calls along the way um you know, it's just the more you experience you have, the more snaps you've played, the easier it is to play. It's you know you flow more fluently without having to think. Yeah. And and so you're you're, you're reacting to the situation, um, and so um, I think it's going to help him tremendously to come back. And, and you know he's seen most of the players he's going to you know he played against last year, and um, you know there's good competition. He's going to show well on film, and uh, it, you know we expect him to have a great senior season. And when you're breaking out a, a new starting quarterback, is that 
an extra sort of benefit? No question. You, yeah. yeah, to have an experienced center uh, is vital. I mean, if we would have had to go with a rookie in there, quarterback and center, I mean, that's that's two pretty uh, you know key areas. I right. Mean, you know, they start every play for us. So to have the experience of center that Cole has, uh, is and I think it helped those young guys throughout spring ball. Yeah. Uh, and you know, so it it, it was vital. For our program, he came back, and again, I think it's going to benefit him greatly. It, it seems like it's not really a talent issue with with guys like Zach Robertson and Steve Miller. I mean, those guys are big, you know, athletic guys. Am I? Is that how you see it? Yeah, they, they've got you know the the great thing about you know Zach and, and Steve and Quinn or not Quinn but Cole and mm-hmm. Alex. You know, they've got you know hundreds and hundreds of snaps. Right. So they've got the experience, and so the key for them is, is to do everything in their power to make themselves physically the best athlete they can be right now, mm-hmm. and then you know find ways to uh, enhance their techniques so that their entire game can improve between now and next fall. Mm-hmm. And so you know, yeah, we've got experience, but you know that that's not good enough. We all have to get better. On a mm-hmm. yearly basis, and so my challenge to them is that you know, what are you doing now to make yourself better than you were a season ago? Mm-hmm. If you stay the same, we go backwards. Yeah. So everybody, you know, in that room, including myself, has to find a way to get better. And mm-hmm. so, uh, if we do that, then we'll have a chance to hopefully have, you know, repeated success on the field again. So, so what would be some of the specific areas that those guys in particular could could really benefit themselves? Um. Well, I, th- I think Steve, you know, he's got to keep his weight in check. And uh, he's, he's working at tackling guard. And so he's just, you know, it's, it's really, there's really not one specific thing that, that they're going to be able to focus on to get better. What I would prefer that they do is they, they focus on every single technique and fundamental that we use and find a way to get, you know, get 3% better at every, every single fundamental and technique. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, you're going to be a lot better player than you were a year ago. Yeah. I don't think you can say, okay, you you know, you need to get a hundred percent better at this and then you'll be a great player. That's that's not the case. They they need to get, you know, three to five percent better at every single thing I ask them to do. And if they do that, then they'll be a complete player and they'll be a better player than they were last year. Cabral and left tackle Zach Robertson are locked into their starting jobs, according to Christensen, and senior Alex Lasoya took a vast majority of the first team reps at left guard in the spring. Steve Miller and Roy Hemsley each started at times last season and worked with the first team during the spring. And Cade Cody is a sixth experienced senior in the group. So do you see, I'm sure that you do, an ongoing competition for that last starting spot? Uh, and is that primarily between Roy and Cade, or how do you, how do you view that? No, you know, I'm, I'm, I bounced guys around in the spring. You know, uh, Roy played some tackle, played some guard. Right. Steve did the same thing. Alex played on both sides. So I just, you know, mixing guys around in there. Um, really what I'm looking for is, is for five guys to establish themselves as the five best players. That's what we need to get done in, in, in ball camp. Um, you know, i got a feel for, you know, some of our guys where we're at. Um, um, we need to have the top five guys show, and they need to show consistently that they are the top five guys. Then once you get that, then then you got to find your sixth, your seventh, your eighth, your ninth, you know, uh, mm-hmm. player. Um, but you know what we need now is you know the first two weeks of spring ball. Hopefully, 
establish a starting lineup. I don't want to mix guys up as much as I did in the spring. Um, so we won't do it as long in the fall. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, narrow it down and, and come up with a starting five that we'll spend the majority of time with. Do you feel good about uh, the, the, the flexibility or versatility of the fact that you do have guys that can play inside and outside and there's a lot of different ways that you can actually go with it? I do. I, I think uh, you know, that's key in our recruiting also is that mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to be limited on you know, guys that can just play inside or just play outside. And so, you know, we want guys that, you know, can play both. And if you do, you have more, you know, if a guy can play guard and tackle, it can play four spots. Mm-hmm. If a guy can only play guard, now you're limited to two spots. So we just want, you know, to try to recruit those type of players that are versatile and can move around and play more than, you know, one or two spots. So out of the senior group, is there anyone that you can really hone in on who's shown a great deal of improvement since you started working with him? Well, I think they all have. Uh, you know, the biggest thing that's changed, I think, in our room that is visible is that uh, our guys' attitude on trying to finish blocks and play physical to the to the you know through the whistle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, so we, we we have a board that you know we chart the fatal finishes and cut blocks and you know really put an emphasis on on being the nastiest legal team that we can be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, you know, we, we emphasize that every single day that, you know, we want guys finishing and we're going to finish in practice uh, because the only way we're going to do it in the games is if we do it in practice. And so we constantly evaluate our players and we graded them all spring, every practice on their finish, whether they finished or didn't finish on every single 11 on 11 rep. So they, they got uh, feedback the next day after every practice and, and knew, and we put the film up and, and, and everybody knows if you did or didn't finish and so you know we'll continue to to, to place the emphasis on that and, and, and really that's if, if you're blocking your guy on the whistle blows we're, we're probably going to have some success. Mm-hmm. Did you think that there was uh, not enough of that edge that finishing sort of mentality when you when you first really started working with them? Um, I don't I, you know I didn't go you know I was here that year and yeah uh, it's not like I went back and said, okay, they don't do this, they don't do this, they don't do this. That's not, that was not my approach. My approach was, uh, here's my expectation. Mm-hmm. And however anything's been done in the past, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to set an expectation of what I expect from you on a daily basis. And then I'm going to make sure that I hold you accountable to get there. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't based on they weren't doing this or, or okay. that. That, that. That never came into play. I, I can't change the past. Right. I can only yeah. control the future. And so what I try to do is set my expectation and get these guys to take on my personality and play the way I expect them to play. Yeah. And awesome. I think they did a nice job of that. Yeah, but so I guess you you consider that essential to being a good lineman is, is having that edge, that physicality. Absolutely. I have a clip of a kid who played for me, probably the most dominant lineman that ever played for me. Uh, he played for me at University of Missouri. I recruited him my first year there. Who is that? His name was Tony Palmer. Tony Palmer. And I have 55 clips of him driving the guy off the film or certainly through the whistle, <clears throat> you know, five, six, seven seconds. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I pulled off. 10 or 15 of those best snaps and I put it on and 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 it was real simple because you gotta have these kids gotta have a visual okay mm-hmm. and so I put the tape on I said okay here's here's what it looks like to finish a block because I've never had anybody finish like this guy finishes okay and, and the point I made to them is okay I'm showing you game film but understand this 
you block like that and practice every single day. Mm. So it's a habit and an attitude, and that's the habit and attitude we want to try to develop with our players. In an extremely rare situation, ASU has no returning scholarship sophomore or junior offensive lineman, which creates a critical issue for the program looking toward 2020 and beyond. It's something Chris asked Christensen about in the form of a question regarding the progress of his freshmen. What about the, you have, you have Spencer and you have Ralph, and, you know, I, I obviously this is a longer developing position, and just, and just, but where are those guys at in their, in their progression of that? They, they, they both uh, had good springs. You know, it was the first time, really, that I got to coach them, you know, because mm -hmm. they weren't in the too deep. Right. Uh, Spencer was a little bit last year, but, um, <clears throat> you know, this is the first time they got a lot of really good reps and, and got a chance to get it on the film, and so, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're making good progress, you know, Normally, you take those kids and they redshirt, then they come back the next year and they're on the scout team again. It's a two-year development deal, and they maybe get in on the PAT team. Well, we've had to speed it up for them just because there's no depth. Right. And so, you know, they're, they're forced to be able to, or not be able, but they're forced to have to contribute a little bit earlier than they should, you know, and hopefully down the road as we continue to recruit and build this, uh, you know, we'll have more depth when we're not asking young guys to have to do as much as we're asking them right now. But they're making progress, mm -hmm. and uh, the spring was good for them. How much of a challenge is that going to be just, uh, I know you're focused on this season, but also having to really as rapidly as possible develop these guys just given what that challenge is going to be like for 2020? Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> interesting because there's no there'll be no ju seniors or juniors yeah. unless we sign some junior college players and mid-year guys so yeah um <clears throat> there's a huge void there you know and, and uh the, you know five guys we signed in this off season you know i have to see how they come along and develop but uh, when you when you look at the board there's really nine kids that'll be on scholarship when we go into next spring mm -hmm. so you know we're gonna have to try to find some ways to fill some holes and you'd like to be able to have more than a dozen returning You'd like to have about 16 on scholarship. Uh, in the season. In the, in, season. In the so, spring, maybe right. 13 or 14 or yeah, something. Yeah, but if you could have four in every class. You know, that'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to have 15 in three classes. Yeah. It's tough because <clears throat> because taking a grad transfer doesn't really help that much for the future unless you can redshirt somebody. Or, or it fills, and, a, it fills an, an immediate void or spot. And a JC player would also, mm -hmm. just because those, you know, right now, next year's junior and sophomore class will have no players in them. Yeah. And sometimes there's just not that many junior college guys out there that are good enough. Right. Is that, did you I find that to be sort that, of a... That's, that's an issue. Yeah. You, know, you do a great job evaluating. I've you know, had about probably 25% or less of the guys I've signed in my entire career from junior college pan out. So yeah, uh, it's, it's not a high percentage that work out, so you got to be very selective what you do. Mm -hmm. And what about just the, the other incoming freshmen that are going to be joining you? With? Yeah, I mean, we got, uh, you know, so Donovan's here, obviously. Uh, Ladarius uh, uh, Henderson was, yeah. was here yesterday. I, just, I saw him yesterday, yeah. yeah he was just spring break, so he okay. was out here. Great kid. He got great length. He's up to 280-something pounds. Very athletic, but you know, uh, you just you don't want to have to depend on these kids next year. Yeah. You know, Ben Scott uh, is is a big kid. I mean, these guys, Ben Scott, uh, Roman Deweese, I mean, these guys are all what were, you know, we have length, athleticism, size, but they're freshmen. Yeah. You know, and in my career, I think I've maybe played in thirty six years three true freshman offensive linemen. 
Right. And none of them were starters. Right. They just got to play some. Yeah. And so uh, it's a tough position to do that with because we're not, we're probably not going to sign a whole bunch of like five star guys that, you know, and even five star guys come in. Half of them can't play anyhow. But right. we're projecting, we're signing these guys that, that are we're projecting to be um, good linemen. You know, yeah. they have all the, the they check all the, the, the boxes as far as size, athleticism, character, all <clears> those <throat> things. And then I got to have some time to develop them. Yeah, and so you know, all these guys coming in this year, you know, two, uh, one or two of those freshmen last year were the two deep, but they didn't play in games, so they got coached. But it takes time to develop. Yeah, and you can't rush the process at the offensive line. Right. Uh, you know, they've got to be in that weight room. They've got to have days in the weight room. They've got to have reps at practice. Um, so it takes time to develop them. But that's that's our plan. Our long term plan is to bring in the right guys, continue to develop them, and and we'll get it to where it needs to be. After ASU rushed for a season-low 36 yards in its 28-21 loss to San Diego State, the team made some successful adjustments with its run game, which enabled it to rush for over 140 yards in nine of its final 10 games. After Wilkins attempted 31 passes against the Aztecs, ASU only attempted over 20 passes once more in the team's final 10 games. In the interview, Christensen talked about what appeared to be a clear shift in offensive strategy. You know, as the season progressed, you know, we, we added a few elements, but, you know, we, we were on a gap scheme. We were on a zone scheme. Yeah. Inside and outside zone scheme. We've been running those since the spring I took over. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't add any more schemes. We put some motions in and changed up some formations, but the schemes never changed. But what about, like, the, 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 the focus or the, on, the, on some of the I just think what happened is, you know, Benjamin, you know, uh, got better. I think the line got better. And as they got better in what we were doing and started having more success, um, you know, I, I think all of a sudden everybody thought, you know, we, we made all these changes and we, we didn't make really any changes. Right. And they didn't put in, like, new stuff no, in the middle of the I mean, season. No. But it's the same place. We just got better at doing them. Okay. <clears throat> you know, it's a, I've always had the belief that if you do something over and over and over, you got a chance to get good at it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do. Mm -hmm. And how rewarding was it, though, do you think, for the group to be able to block for a guy like Eno in the type of season that he had? Oh, I think it was you know, very rewarding. You know, they, uh, they understand, uh, you know, just how talented of a player he is. And he certainly understands how important it is, you know, for those guys up front to, to get them started. And so I think they have a mutual respect. And, uh, but, it, you know, it's, it's always fun uh, for an offensive line to have a great tailback behind them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, certainly had a great season last year. Will you guys install anything new this year that you weren't running last year? I don't know. You'd have to go to the first game and find out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's good. I don't know that we'll, you know, we'll, we'll always tinker with what we do mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, make sure that, fit to our personnel strengths and that type of thing, but uh, as far as wholesale changes, I mean, you have to talk to Rob about that. I, yeah. I don't foresee anything. That'll do it for this episode of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. We hope you enjoyed Chris's interview with Dave Christensen. Thanks for joining us on this special edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to read the entire interview with Christensen, you can find it on sundevilsource.com. 
As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, we'll be having additional interviews with members of Edward Staff once a week or so in this format to hold you over until the start of preseason camp in August. So for publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host Rob Warner saying so long and thank you for tuning in.